Welcome to Brilliant in 20, a podcast from Scoop News Group and Emerald One, where we celebrate the unique brilliance of today's leaders and share their experiences with you in just 20 minutes. Welcome to Brilliant in 20. I'm Kai Miller, the Chief Creative Officer of Emerald One and your host. My guest today is Patrick Sully Sullivan, a two-time winner of the Fed Health IT 100 Award and the Principal Product Strategist for U.S. Public Sector at Hyperscience, a startup that provides an intelligent content processing platform. His career has spanned multiple small and large businesses, including Aptive Resources, Systems Made Simple, which is now part of Lidos, and KGS, which is now part of Mantech. As a technologist, Sully's prior roles included VP of Digital and Technology Solutions, VP of Emerging Technologies, and Director of Solutions Architecture for IT services firms. He holds a bachelor's degree from American University and numerous certifications on AWS and Microsoft-based solutions. Sully, welcome to Brilliant in 20. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the introduction. So, and that, that introduction was, was quite an introduction. So tell our audience in your own words, what do you do every day? I ask myself that exact same question every day uh, because every day is different. Uh, in a nutshell, um, I would say my role is to be the glue between our go-to-market team in the public sector. Um, so that's our sales and marketing uh, and pipeline generation folks. Uh, our product engineering team, right, which is the, uh, the heartbeat of our organization, to be honest. They're the ones that build all the really amazing and innovative capabilities that are packaged with our products. And then also our leadership team who signs all of our checks. <laughs> so that basically uh, in the public sector market uh, is essentially kind of my role. So, um, and I, I really enjoy it because like I said, it is, it's a new adventure uh, every single day. Uh, just making sure that uh, uh, our product is maturing in a way that is most valuable uh, for our customers. Yeah. And you have a pretty significant background in the public sector, right? In federal space. Yeah. My entire career. Okay, great. So you specialize in an area that's interesting and maybe even a little nerve wracking, particularly to that federal client. Um, but to a lot of people, AI and automation. So can you tell us a little bit about how automation impacts the public sector and why that's important to understand right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we live at an interesting time right now uh, with, you know, the digital age and you know, everyone's transforming, everyone is modernizing. Uh, but really what it boils down to is um, automation uh, has a direct impact on the customer experience or the citizen experience. People expect the same level of service from the U.S. government whether they're filing a VA disability claim, they're renewing their passport, uh, or they're filing a social security disability claim, or they're seeking any other of the you know, dozens <laughs> and hundreds right, of, of services that the government provides um, you know, the general public. But they expect the same level of service that they would get from Wells Fargo, 
that they would get from JP Morgan, right? That they would get from their ins their health insurance provider, right? Which is seamless, easy to use, and simple, right? And so, you know, data shows that, like I said earlier, there's a direct impact between automation and that seamless customer experience that everyone is is after. Uh, and then, you know, that is why. Uh, you know, I've decided to uh, to specialize uh, in this area um, yeah. and and continue to to learn about not uh, not necessarily what is the trend of today, but what are the capabilities of tomorrow um, that we don't even know exist yet, right? And uh, and focus on trying to uh, bring those capabilities uh, in front of, of decision makers in public sector, um, you know, so that they can provide the best uh, and most seamless experiences to the people that the government serves. Yeah. Um, Great point. Yeah. I mean, we all carry in our pocket, usually this amazing resource where we can order food, have a doctor's appointment, anything else in our private lives. And it seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect that, that people perceive is there between what you can do in your private life versus what the federal government can do for you. And it sounds like some of what you're doing is kind of closing that gap pretty mm -hmm. rapidly so you can access the same federal services from that amazing resource in your pocket, right? Exactly. And, and, and whether it's through digital or non-digital touch points, you know, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter, right? It's, it's just a matter of streamlining, streamlining the experience um, on the uh, sort of in the front stage uh, and then using automation and, and consistency and repeatability uh, on things that happen in the backstage. Uh, when you use the food delivery app or you're browsing on Netflix or you're ordering something on Amazon, you're, you're seeing the top, the part of the iceberg that floats above the water, right? That's what you interact with as a, as a human. Um, below the water line, right, is the other 90% of the iceberg, which is this really complex, uh, but uh, precise orchestration of people and technology to deliver that service to you. Right? And then that's basically what's, what I'm trying to focus on, uh, you know, kind of with my career, right, is that, that the exact same experience can exist uh, in the public sector. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about that, that people aspect of it. So we mentioned it, it might be a little bit scary to some people and they hear you say, use automation instead of hiring more people and they can feel like their jobs are in jeopardy. So what can you share with those people who have, who may have that fear, that suspicion based on the fact that you're sitting in the front row with a lot of this? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I have implemented or been part of teams that have, uh, have implemented very large-scale, complex automation capabilities for the federal government. Uh, not a single person, not a single uh, member of the organizations that we have implemented those capabilities for has lost their job. All right. Wow. So the notion that automation means you're going to lose your job is a myth. There is plenty of work to do. Automation just means that you will actually be able to come home from your job feeling a little bit more rewarded, 
maybe with a little bit more money in your pocket because you've been promoted. Uh, but you can focus on the things that matter to you because the things that are more menial uh, and frustrating have been taken off of your plate. All right, that that's what automation uh, is delivering uh, in the public sector. Uh, so uh, we have uh, some success stories with the Department of Veterans Affairs. We have some success stories with the US Air Force where people uh, have been able to receive training and get promoted. They've been able to move from uh, working on spending their entire day processing paperwork to spending their entire day uh, talking on the phone to veterans and helping them navigate the claims process. Yeah. Right. So if you are a government employee, you know, like that's a that's a valid question, right? Would you are you happier spending your day doing paperwork, or are you happier spending your day helping veterans by counseling them on the on the phone? Yeah. Um, other individuals have been able to receive retraining and move on to uh, roles where they're making decisions about uh, whether or not to approve or deny a veterans' claim or determine what level uh, of disability that you know they should be rated at. Um, and a lot of individuals, uh, you know, staff members, get to say, "Hey, I helped 14 veterans get their disability payment today." All right, because yeah, okay. they they approved the uh, the claim. Um, or, you know, I was able to um, prevent one fraudster, right, from fraudulently receiving their benefits today um, to protect the integrity of, our, of the system, right, and look out for all the other veterans that are adversely impacted by fraudsters. Uh, so, you know, that's really where, where automation kind of fits in. And that's also why, uh, you know, hyperscience is really uh, focused on being a, a human-centered automation company. Um, it's it's kind of part of our our core brand because what we want to do is take all the aspects of of your job that you hate doing and automate it for you, so you can just focus on the things that you enjoy and you find fulfilling. Yeah, I, I was actually about to key in on that. I love that you're talking about this very technical topic and it's all coming back to people. It's all coming mm -hmm. back to being very human-centered. It sounds to me as well like there's a lot of trust and it's trust is a huge factor in not only how the workforce responds to automation or even the concept of auto automation, but... Um, potentially how your clients respond to the concept too. Can you talk to us a little bit about you personally? How do you build trust with your clients and with their employees, with their teams? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. Um, so uh, a lot of automation initiatives fail to launch. Uh, I think when people try to tackle way too much uh, at one time, I think a, a great way that's been successful uh, in building trust is to carve out small slivers of uh, of a process or or a workflow or of a, a business case, and see if we can iterate on that small sliver, that use case, right? Iterate upon it and find a way to automate this tiny little aspect, and then show some results back to uh, back to decision makers, right? Whether they're the managed service provider, federal systems integrator, or if it's the 
you know, the government and client directly yeah. uh, and then say, hey, all right, this uh, this small little portion of the process that used to take, you know, somebody, uh, you know, eight to eight to 12 hours to complete is is now completed in about two minutes. So what does that mean? Well, now, <laughs> right to my earlier point. Now that that person's time is is available to uh, focus on other parts of the business operations uh, that uh, bring a lot more value uh, yeah. to the organization or to the employee themselves. Uh, another way uh, of building trust is, uh, I think, definitely uh, being honest and realistic about what what can and can't be automated. All right, what can and can't be realized with technology uh, in the government in the government especially there are always things that need to be addressed and handled by people All right there is it's always going to happen uh, and you know being realistic about well if we can focus on these things over here then that'll free up people's times to focus on the things that are really critical and difficult uh, over here um, you know, there are there are some there are some use cases out there that are going to require two hundred and fifty million dollars of R and D in order to find a way to automate it. That's just not not economically feasible <laughs> for yeah, yeah. for a lot of for a lot of cases. Um, but there are other things that uh, you know that aren't the case, right? And so those are the things that you want to focus on uh, when engaging with uh, you know with with decision makers and, and customers. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, another uh, way to build trust uh, as well is to have explainable outcomes, right? Explainable uh, uh, data, right? That you can, you can back and support that says, hey, here is the tangible, you know, ROI or, or ROE return on effort from you know, this implementation, right, from automating this portion of the process. And if you don't have, uh, if you don't have data and supporting evidence to really explain the impacts uh, of an initiative, right, then it kind of calls into question, right, why are we investing in that in the first place? Mm -hmm. uh, so really showing the tangible outcomes uh, that, uh, you know, that the initiative is bringing is is i think very very critical as well for uh you know for for building trust with uh with customers and decision makers great so i'm, I'm hearing from you delivering on your promises having the data to back up what you're promising but i'm mm -hmm. also hearing kind of a, a rare perspective in the federal space which is we're not we're not going to sell this to you if you can't actually use it or if you don't genuinely need it. So that, that's pretty interesting. Can you tell us a little bit, having been in the federal sector for such a long time, what are some of the big trends that you're noticing in the federal workforce or in technology in the public sector following COVID? Uh, sure. If we could address the previous point real quick uh, sure. that you made. Uh, because you know something that I really like to communicate across the board is you know our mantra is that you can use uh, our platform to stretch 
the dollar of the American taxpayers <laughs> and streamline the operations of uh, government organizations uh, through automation, et cetera. And so it would be incredibly hypocritical of us <laughs> to, to then uh, convince someone that they need to purchase our platform when they either don't need it or aren't going to use it yeah. uh, for what it's intended uh, to do. So um, that is really, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a new way of, of thinking <laughs> in, the, in the federal uh, marketplace, but uh, I believe that, uh, I, I firmly believe, you know, that uh, if, it's, if the platform is not a right fit, uh, if it's not going to be a very valuable use of taxpayer dollars, which is mine and yours and everyone else's, yeah then I'm not going to be hypocritical and, and try and, uh, and can convince you that you need it. Right. I'll even, no, refer, I'll even refer you to another something else, right. That, uh, you know, that, that really meets, meets your needs, uh, you know, whatever that may be. <laughs> that's wonderful. I mean, that's a, that's values-based leadership, right? You, you've identified the company's core values and, and you're leading with those in front. So it's, it's very rare, but it's very refreshing to hear as Absolutely. a taxpayer, as a taxpayer, most importantly. I was accused by our sales team of just lighting money on fire a few times <laughs> when I've had those conversations <laughs> internally. Um, but uh, it's at the end of the day, it's the, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. 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 Okay. So tell us a little bit about what are, what are you seeing from your seat post COVID in our federal workforce? Black. <laughs> Slack. Slack. No, um, you know, it's, it's been eye-opening everyone, uh, you know, pre COVID there was so much, you know, angst and, uh, uh, hesitance, right. To support 100% remote, you know, there was maybe half, half in half out kind of things here and there. And then post COVID we've found not only is it very much possible right to do a lot of things remotely from home but in many cases people are much more productive when they are working from home i for one have found that uh, uh sometimes I'm, I'm a little more productive sometimes i'm working a little bit longer than my wife would appreciate uh because you know of the home office i'm not spending two and a half hours in the car on 66 every every day yeah. you know or 95 <laughs> uh you know so that is that is time that you know goes into increasing productivity and then i also think that there was a bit of a culture shock at first but people got used to using collaboration technology um people got used to uh moving conversations out of meetings and really long complex email threads and compartmentalizing them into instant messaging applications you know like like slack or, or teams or whatever you know whatever your organization uses um um, people got a lot better about collaborating and, and sharing uh, information through, you know, Google Docs or, you know, working SharePoint Docs, things of that nature. And I felt like uh, the level of meetings that were needed to get stuff done went down because communications become almost instantaneous now. Yeah. Um, less meetings means, A, a happier me, but also... Uh, 
happier, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a happier organization, right? Because, you know, they don't have to be in meetings from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. before they can actually start getting any, anything done yeah. anymore. Um, one of the downsides, though, right, uh, to, you know, this sort of new normal that we have is sometimes there is a lot of really engaging and brilliant conversations that happen at the water cooler, right? There's a lot of ideas that have been generated by three people in a room with a whiteboard. Right. And I think the challenge that, that we're facing is how can we recreate those experiences in a virtual world uh, or in, in this new normal of 100% remote? Uh, and then there's a lots of tools and apps and approaches to do that. And, and we're experimenting with a, with a few of them to basically do exactly that. Like take the water cooler conversation or the, hey, let's get, you know, three people in a room and, and whiteboard out some new cool idea <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and recreate those experiences. That's, I'd say that's the one downside that I really miss. I really miss being in a room with my team on the whiteboard, just spitballing ideas, you know, firing things out, um, you know, throwing sticky notes on the wall, hit, you know, hitting the whiteboard, having really dynamic, you know, conversations kind of in real time with a bunch of people in a room together, you know, ordering a pizza, right, get a case of beer or something and, and have a good time and, and you know, uh, solve some problems. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I actually, I, I focusing in creativity, I, I spent my morning using one of the virtual whiteboarding tools, right? And working with a team on brainstorming some of the things that are more visionary for their organization, but some of the same things that you identified as a, a potential barrier to automation, the same things come into using those virtual collaboration tools where you see the teams and they're willing to type into the tiny sticky notes and move them all over the board. But some of the conversation, the, the pizza and beer conversation, it's still missing. Yeah. Because they're, they're sitting on, you know, they're sitting on teams or they're sitting on Zoom and they're not actually connecting and it takes the warm up to get them mm -hmm. to the point where they can connect. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, and sometimes when you get on these, you know, these Zoom calls or Teams calls with a really big participation, you know, grouping, um, you know, then you get like probably the two or three loud mouths like me that just kind of dominate <laughs> the conversation. And, uh, you know, I feel like people are much more open to expressing some ideas that they're like, I don't know how this is going to be received when it's a group of two or three people, not right. a Zoom call with 40 people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great points. So Sully, this has been very enlightening to me. Very, very interesting. I am a I've worked in IT for most of my career, but very much on the non-technical side. So to hear someone as technical as you talking about the humanity of automation and of AI um, is really fascinating. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Um, before we go though, I, I have one more question because at Emerald One, it's, it's very important to us that we balance our work and talking about our work with living a real life, having a life outside <laughs> of work. So I would love to hear from you. 
What is your ideal Sunday morning look like? Where would we find you on a Sunday morning? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's worn out from all the automation. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes you just have, uh, you have those days or, or weeks where, you know, you, you switch off work mode and you need to stare at the wall for about an hour before you mm-hmm. can then actually go and do something. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think uh, on a Sunday morning, you can probably, like, you probably have a high probability of seeing me hanging out with my wife and my dog, um, you know, walking around the neighborhood. It's starting to get nice out again. So the weather's turning. So, you know, taking the, taking the dog out. I've got a four-year-old Corgi. Her name's Piper. Um, oh yeah she's well we're gonna need some photos of piper for sure now we'll get some photos of piper for (laughs) sure absolutely um and you know we like to uh uh, on the weekends you know my so we live out in Loudoun County so you know we like to go and explore the uh the different wineries and vineyards and you know breweries and what that are in the area uh, yeah. especially if the weather's nice it's a great way to spend a weekend um get out of the house get some sun uh you know th- things of that nature uh and then if it's if it's you know like we're cooped up and <laughs> definitely during during the height of the pandemic when we weren't leaving the house for anything uh but you know if it's bad weather we're cooped up uh it's either uh, a coin toss between netflix and video games for gotcha me. what do you play Oh boy. Uh, so I'm more on the PC side uh, and play some some MOBAs, uh, which is uh, basically multiplayer online battle arena. Um, things like, like Heroes of the Storm is one that I play with some friends of mine. Um, and then, you know, I also like to play real-time strategy games uh, too. Some of the older, more classic ones. I wouldn't, the Gen Z calls them older and classic now, but uh, <laughs> real-time strategy games like uh, like StarCraft Two is one that I kind of find myself playing a lot. Uh, I'm not a big first-person shooter game. It's it, I think it's overplayed, and to be honest, I sometimes just get frustrated with uh, you know basically uh, entering the game and then four seconds later a nine-year-old just killed me. And I'm like, <laughs> It just happens over and over and over again. I just I can't do it. You can only be assassinated by someone in middle school so many times before you uh, you just kind of give up. So I'm more on issues the- that are very <laughs> unique to gamers. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So I'm not very good. I don't do it to be good. I it's just fun. <laughs> yeah, engage your brain. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you've shared today and for the advancements in the government that you've helped implement and particularly in your current role for helping stretch that dollar a little bit further and and making the, the federal employee feel a little bit more fulfilled, a little bit better trained, better prepared for the future. We appreciate it. It was so interesting to hear from you. Thank you very much for having me. This was great. I love the energy. Uh, you know, it's uh, this is this has been really fun, and you know, really appreciate you guys having me on. Cool. Thanks, Sully.